Welcome to episode seven of the Seed Struck Movie Podcast. My name is John, and joining me this week is my co-host, Curtis. Hello. And uh, joining us today, uh, Quinn, unfortunately, can't join us this week uh, for the next few weeks. Of course, he mentioned last episode he's getting busy. He has a wedding coming up, so he's in full wedding prep mode. So uh, we wanted to still keep the show going, uh, even though he, we miss him and we left to, we can't wait to have him back again. We're excited to continue the ship and keep it going this week. We have a special guest, a friend of Curtis's. Uh, say hello, Cloud. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Kind of a, it's kind of a special episode today. We'll be looking at Roma from 2018. Uh, Cloud is a really good friend of mine, too. I met her at uh, Durham University many moons ago when I was doing my PhD. And uh, she came to my lecture that I was giving on uh, the Philosopher's Stone and uh, I think uh, um, the Philosopher's Stone and the Holy Grail and uh, film adaptations of uh, that depicted it too. So it was a lot of fun too. And uh, we've been friends ever since too. uh, She's from Mexico City too. So obviously this film is really important to her. And uh, yeah, I've been to Mexico City to visit her. It was a wonderful time. And as we'll talk about too, uh, a lot of the places actually reminded me of, of Plow's own house, the family house. Uh, so it's very personal and uh, yeah and, and uh, it's great to have her on the show too where she's our first guest so uh, very happy to, also great to have a woman on the show too so uh, yeah <laughs> it's been it's been just dudes you know it's nice yeah. to have a, a much more a bigger <laughs> variety of audiences and different types of people and, and with different experiences as well too. Uh, Claude do you do you watch a lot of movies are you a movie fan or do you have any sort of specific favorites uh, I know this one's an interesting one, and I had just watched this for the first time this week, so I'm excited to talk about this movie. But what sort of movies are, are you into? Um, yeah, I kind of see um, a lot of movies, like a lot of, of genres. So, yeah, I just enjoy um, experiencing new stories, uh, mostly um, American um cinema but yeah i can watch uh, or french french cinema too or italian as i speak italian that's your favorite italy you love italian <laughs> yeah so one of my favorite movies is italian so yeah i i see i watch a lot of movies <laughs> <laughs> cool and i know we're a little bit pressed for time i know klaus you know is was fortunate to join us i know i think you're a little bit limited on your time so we're going to try to uh, I think we're not going to go through an entire summary of the movie. I mean, this movie, even in of itself, it, it, it's so kind of naturalistic in the kind of the life it depicts. And it's, you know, going plot beat by plot beat, I think would be a little um, would be a little long. So um, before we get to just talking about our, the movie and our thoughts and our ratings, I just want to quickly just go over uh, quickly sort of a little bit of background on Roma. So, of course, this is directed by Alfonso Cuaron. He's, a, of course, a very celebrated director. You know, if you've seen uh, some of his past work, uh, Gravity. Uh, Children of Men, Itu Mama Tambien. He's done like a lot of really excellent <laughs> movies. And, you know, he's well known, of course, for his unique visual style or even something like uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which he directed that adapta- adaptation. He has, uh, he really puts a lot of emphasis on his, he's a really good visual director. And I, and I tend to be, I go back and forth between different types of, of directors. I like my ones that are a little bit more naturalistic and character driven. And I like mine that do put a lot of visual fa- flair. And, and so I kind of go back and forth, but I, I think he's quite an excellent director. This one's an interesting movie too, because this is, um you know, this is based very much on his own life experience. And, you know, we're, I'm kind of spoiling a bit, but at the end, you know, the movie, it says it's for Lebo, referring to his own, his own Annie. And this movie, he very much modeled it 
off of his own experience. But I, I did a little bit of research on this movie and he actually reached out to his nanny and got and talked to her and actually did interviews with her. And a lot of there was a lot of gaps that he wasn't really that aware of that was he was able to fill in based on his own life experience. So this is sort of like a semi autobiographical film in that regard. This uh, started production in 2016 and, of course, was later a released in 2018. This is a very interesting movie and in how it was released in that this was actually released uh, primarily on Netflix. And, you know, now there's a lot of movies coming out, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of theaters have been restricted. We recently saw a Warner Brothers pivot towards we're going to be releasing all of our upcoming theatrical stuff on day one streaming and, and in the theaters. But this was sort of like the biggest movie that I can remember, uh, certainly that I could think of that was like coming out on streaming sort of for the first time. Uh, that being said, it did premiere at uh, various film festivals. In, in, and of course, this movie... Got a, because of the way it was released, I don't know if you remember, Curtis, there was sort of a kerfuffle around it because like a lot of the people in like the various, uh, you know, film festival communities were a little bit miffed that this movie was released, did like uh, through streaming. And when it came to nominations for like Best Picture and stuff, uh, certainly I remember reading around the time that this movie was nominated, Steven Spielberg came out expressing like he was disapproved, like streaming movies shouldn't yes. be eligible. But I think now Steven Spielberg actually is now involved in like yes. streaming stuff. So a, a lot of these guys who were like, I hate streaming, it's the worst. Like it's not real cinema. Scor yeah. Scorsese and the Irishman too. Everyone's like, oh no, yeah. it's going to go on Netflix. And then <laughs> I didn't like it personally, but I mean, it was, it, it did okay, I think. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, the way it was released, uh, AMC and Regal Cinema, they actually boycotted showing it. So when this got released, it it did very well for an international language movie in, in like in, in US and Canada and that sort of thing. Like it did very well. Uh, but that being said, it, it didn't have a very, very wide release. And we sort of saw that again with The Irishman, but it was sort of conversely, it was actually kind of a nice little boom. I, I listened to the Mayfair podcast in the, our, our local uh, theater joint in Ottawa, and they were talking mm -hmm. about how, you know, the, the act of these streaming services kind of getting, it's sort of like a mid-tier. It's not like a direct-to-streaming movie. It's not like a big theatrical release. It's kind of like in the middle, ambiguous. You know, the benefit of those type of movies is that it actually allows them to present it theatrically. Like the, yeah. the Irishman was sort of released kind of like a an old school movie, like Town to Town. It was like, we're going to do like the, the, the Irishman. If you only want to see the Irishman, you can watch it on Netflix, have a great time. But if you want to see it, in the theater experience, come see it at our local independent cinema. And that's, it's sort of, it's sort of been a nice little boom for those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this did, of course, quite well. Uh, that was widely acclaimed. It actually was nominated for, uh, it also had a huge promotion budget. I even remember the time there was a lot of advertising around this coming out on Netflix. Over double the budget of the movie itself was on just the marketing costs alone and, and promotions. And this wow. did quite, yeah, and this did quite well at the Academy Awards. It got 10 nominations. Of course, it got nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, more it was Mexico. actually the first. <laughs> Yeah, and it was the most nominations for a non-English film since uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It was also the first Netflix streaming movie to be nominated for Best Picture. I don't think it was the first Netflix song. I think it was uh, Beast for No Nation, I think, got a nomination for at least for acting. But this was the first time a streaming release was nominated in that regard. And, and it's sort of, you know, progenitor to stuff like The Irishman and even stuff that's kind of a hybrid like Hunt Got Gems, which had a limited release, but otherwise was digital. Um, Guaran won for Best Director, also won for Best Foreign Film and Cinematography. Uh, although this movie unfortunately didn't win best picture this was the year that green green book won and every year that passes that feels more and more like last decades like crash like a, a movie that probably should not have i remember at the time that movie won and everyone was like huh that movie and there was other great like the, the favorite was nominated there's a lot of great movies that were nominated that year but uh unfortunately didn't win um but of course the movie has a very popular reputation and in 2019 it was actually the first uh, Netflix movie, digital release movie, streaming movie to be released uh, for its 
uh, hard release on Blu-ray and DVD on Criterion Collection. Uh, since then, we've also had stuff like Marriage Story, which was on Netflix, come out on Criterion, Uncut Gems recently announced. So um, a lot of the reasons for that is because it's, it is really stri- streaming and there's not a lot like a lot of a knowledge about how it, the movie is going to be released after, you know, what, what happens with Netflix in the future. There was a lot of incentive to like get that out there into like physical medium for, you know, the, inter- the film community and for film lovers. So uh, it was cool that it, to see it come up so soon. Some people were like, why is this movie a year later coming up on the criteria? But I mean, I, now it's time to talk about this movie because watching this movie, this is such a, a beautiful like love letter to uh, to the to, to the people to the country of Mexico to to you know hmm. just to a very specific era of time yes. uh, in 1970 in Mexico when it, when the country was going through so many uh, changes um, under its government and let's yes. talk a little bit about this movie so you know this movie is about a family uh, and about various members of the family of course the main character of the story is Cleo Leo. she's Cleo she's sort she's like that the, the nanny and housekeeper and again because you know, I'm watching this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a generic Canadian guy. There is a lot, <laughs> a lot of, of course, cultural differences for the way that, you know, we regard some of these characters, this movie. My understanding is a lot of, a lot of like middle-class families in Mexico and across uh, various countries and communities in like Latin America. It's not uncommon to have like nannies and, and have that be like a very uh, big part of the family. And so, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a little bit different here, of course, but uh it's so interesting to see it from 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 her perspective and to follow her. What what, what did you guys think of this movie overall in terms? Yeah, of yeah, Cloud, you felt like yes. attached to yeah. it. So what what did you think of it, Cloud? Because I mean, I even felt like I was in your house when I watched part of it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's um, well. What I really like from this movie it's how um, like the appreciation to the domestic workers, right? Like they are always taking care of the family um mm. yeah like uh, they are like the keepers of this um house right and i think that's what uh, alonso cuaron wanted to express like a thankful or like a yeah like a, um representation he wanted to represent how important was in this case cleo uh, the domestic worker in his life no absolutely too and i I think it's very much a celebration. You see everything she kind of goes through too. I mean, uh, you know, from shitty boyfriend to like, you know, uh, uh, especially that scene in the movie theater too. And we'll probably talk about that a bit more too. That was one scene that really struck me too. But you see kind of the different, you know, divisions of of class too. And I mean, it, it really brings out Cleo's character, I thought too. And I mean, for me, I mean, even though it was in black and white too, I was kind of skeptical about watching a Netflix, you know, film. But I mean, I love the the cinematography was incredible too. I mean, there's so many scenes too, you know, where they're out in the park and they they have those like samurai swords and very much like a gender performance. But it's 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 so interesting and so beautiful. And I love seeing kind of this, uh, you know, urban Mexico. Yes, the scenes by the sea. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so I was saying like, (laughs) like, yeah, the scenes by the sea, right? Like very representative of Mexico, for example, uh, where they shoot one of the uh, scenes where um, where a historical movement took place in Mexico. Like they even, because I live very uh, close from this place, um, so uh, it was amazing how they recreated all of these um, scenario scenario. It feels like you're. It feels like you're right there with a lot of it too. What did you think of it, John? Like, did you? What were your thoughts? Uh, well, first and foremost, like I loved just this cla- this this mix of eclectic characters and sort of this very atypical. I mean, I guess typical if you if you're from a certain class and 
and group living in Mexico and from a certain time, of course, but, you know, me coming from someone who was born and raised in the suburbs here in Ottawa, like uh, it was, it was so cool to see that mix of different classic culture in this family. Like we have Cleo, who's Cleo, who's the, who's the housekeeper nanny. And yeah, I think you're, you guys are pointing out exactly how she's always working. There's never really a moment for respite. It's a great moment at the beginning of the movie where uh, one of the boys, uh, Pepe is like laying out in the sun and he's like pretending to be dead. And she comes up behind him, like lays down and pretends to be dead. And there's a, there's kind of an on, well, we'll talk a little bit about the kind of the themes and motifs, but there's a kind of an ongoing motif to me. I felt like of, of, of death and and in that mm. moment you could kind of see her as a moment where she can kind of be kindly finally be at peace and it would maybe laugh because the camera pans up and you hear all the sights and sounds of like urban mexico of you know different nannies across different buildings cleaning dogs barking everywhere I'm like it reminds me of my neighborhood sometimes because our neighborhood is just non-stop dogs barking and chatter at all times and i and i i do connect with that a lot because i really like to hear kind of the liveliness of of the community and family but this is sort of an interesting family we have sophia who's sort of the matriarch um, Antonio, the patriarch, the dad, and I love their 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 beautiful children. That Pepe's, uh, Sophie, Tono, and and Paco. I I I thought the way that the characters, like all the children, interacted with her was so was so well done. Like it didn't feel stilted, like a lot of these silly kids in like Hollywood productions where they're just like, oh hello, like it just it feels so theatrical and and like you're watching a play. It's it's but, very immer- it's very immersive too. Like when you see these kind of characters, it feels like you're a part of that community. And you're like, yeah. you know, I'm visiting Clown in Mexico or something too. So it feels very personal yeah. when you watch it. The, the, the way it introduces her kind of world, like we, we start off the movie, kind of that beautiful shot, that perspective of the water being splashed. We don't really know what's going on in that moment, but you know, later you find out that's like kind of the main garage where that dog, uh, <laughs> what was the dog? I can't remember the dog's name. He was just constantly <laughs> shitting. That dog just couldn't stop <laughs> yeah. pooping. Yeah, they always clean the garage, you know, with that, that dog. I've never seen more artful, beautiful shots of uh, dog shit uh, in my life. But yeah. uh, it's, it says a lot about a film too when you see such beautiful dog shit in the film and it looks beautiful <laughs> <laughs> but i think you know that it's funny that it starts with that moment with that the garage with the dog because i think it encapsulates so much in the movie like there's so much time spent in that garage it's sort of like a liminal space between like uh this family itself and how they exist and the characters how they exist within kind of this country and we see a little bit of that with the planes there's a lot of motifs with planes going over and we'll get into that what that means but it's sort of like a liminal space between that family and sort of the greater you know political societal world they live in and you know the dog it kind of oh there's so many dogs this people get into that later but uh, i just couldn't get it like this dog's pooping everywhere and again it's like she has to clean up and wash this dog so she's just pooping nonstop in this garage but no one else wants to really do the very minimal effort of like taking care of this dog you know she's always working she's always doing all the work she has no moment for much respite we see where she she lives her her small apartment and it's very dingy but then of course we transition to the beautiful house and oh my goodness it's so cool once the movie transitions you're like it feels like a completely different movie because we're getting all these wide open shots so much there's like liveliness, birds, dogs, animals, and we get excited. It feels much more, a little bit more colder, but certainly um, it looks, it is a very different uh, dynamic. Uh, of course, the movie, of course, follows like this family and, and, their, and the events of their lives. Uh, the husband, Antonio, uh, it's so great when he comes in because he's driving that huge, massive car <laughs> trying to like drive it into the parking lot and he's just like fiddling around with the car he's like smoking at the same time i'm like this guy's trying to he's like making like eight eight point turns to try to get this massacre that doesn't fit in the garage into the garage and you know he's 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 kind of an interesting because he's kind of like a cold figure you know we see cleo like interacting with these children she's taking care of them she's feeding them putting them to bed um and when the dad comes, you know, he's not really much involved. Like he hugs like the son or the daughter, but otherwise he's, he's focusing on his work. We find out that his, uh, his wife says that 
he's uh, gone away to Quebec in Canada for like uh, some sort of work trip. It's it's certainly she, she's, in, she's she's in Montreal right now too. So it feels like you know the movie's being played out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was. Um, it's it's so interesting because once he comes into the scene and we see a scene later where Cleo, Cleo's cleaning up uh, at night, it's sort of like we see kind of the morning throughout the day in this household. She's uh, cleaning up. We hear him kind of venting and complaining. He's like, oh, a dog shitting everywhere. Like, it's not very clean <laughs> here. And I was infuriated watching that because like we're seeing her do all the work, you know, like so much emotional labor. I mean, this movie is very much, I would think emotional labor is like kind of like a main theme of this movie, but mm. putting so much of her own life and, and effort into taking care of this family and to have this man who just pulled in uh barely there and just being like oh this is terrible the house is a mess it was very aggravating but and i love there's a scene right after that of course when she goes downstairs a lot of descending downstairs and she spends this whole wide scene the camera pans and tracks her uh turning off all the lights in the room it, it gives it a sense a real sense of scope because this room is so massive there's like six or seven lamps and different switches everywhere it's like a an entire journey just to just shut off the lights what did, what did you guys think of the camera work because it's got a very interesting style the way this movie is shot yeah, Cloud, I'll let you go first there, the cameras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the cameras, yeah, I think like they are like, it can make you feel like you are part of the of the movie, right? I don't know, like, I don't know if it's because I have like this connection with the movie, but uh, yeah, I think the how, how these um, shoot, uh, it helps you to, to feel more like you are, like you live there, you are part of the dynamic of the family. Absolutely too. Yeah. And it's like the, it, it focuses on the minute things too. So you see even, you know, the, the scene where in the garage and they keep cutting, showing the shots of the dog shit, you know, being run over by the tires. I mean, it's just, uh, it just, it just really shows that the, even those little moments are kind of special, at least when I was watching it too. And then the, the black and white and kind of shows that this, it's this kind of vintage experience too. So you're re reliving this kind of uh, momentous very past, I think. Yeah, and Quarrel is so good at his, like, you know, he's kind of, he's sort of one of those directors that gets lumped in with, like, the one perfect shot type directors. Certainly mm -hmm. if, you know, watching some of his prior movies, like in Children of Men, where you get that extended long sequence at the end of the movie, that one take where, you know, Clive Owen's running through the city and there's gunfire and it's just panic everywhere. And certainly like a movie like Gravity, where there's just so many scenes yeah. where it's like, how did they, I know it's like a lot of it's done digitally, but it's like, how did they do this like it's like yeah. so realistic and it's like you're literally in space and you know that's a movie we'll have to maybe talk we'll have to cover i think a lot more of the quarrel yeah well, with the, like the scene with the scene, that scene with the riots too where there's the riots in the streets too yeah. and you look you look out over the balcony and you could see it from like with the family as, as the riots are going on and i'm like it feels so real doesn't it you know yeah and it's magic. Just, <laughs> yeah and it's not yeah the camera work is, it's a lot of it's very few zooming ins and close-ups with the, the family itself we don't really get much like face shots or anything it's a lot of it is very detached simple horizontal panning and and some vertical panning as well too and it, to me it gave you a kind of a little bit of a sense of like coldness like you're not really totally immersed into this family like you're 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 there but i think that really kind of mirrors Cleo's own kind of relationship with the family because there's a distinct like class and cultural aspect she is an indigenous mm. mexican so she's not like uh she, she's from a different class when she's speaking with her yeah, friend I believe she she's speaking in mistech yeah yeah she's speaking in like an indigenous language yeah. and you know i think a lot of foreigners who who don't know much about culture in latin america especially in mexico like they would assume oh everyone's the same because it's just like a very like yeah. you know bird's eye view not really paying much attention but you know mexico is a lot like canada united states there's a lot of yeah. different cultures um, indigenous cultures as well too and ethnicities and how well, that plays into kind of the class and cultural aspects of the cities and, and yeah. the country itself is, i, I is want to ask cloud too i mean, are there are a lot of people who speak Miztec in Mexico City where this movie takes place? Or is that kind of more of a minority thing? 
Yeah, no, in Mexico City, we don't have a lot of people that, uh, unfortunately, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we don't have, yeah, but we don't have people in, in Mexico City, especially. It's more uh, Oaxaca, in, I guess, eh? Yeah, in other states, uh, they they speak uh, indigenous languages, but in Mexico mm-hmm. City, not really. It's not a common thing you can, you can see. And it's with like I, I was telling you, Claude, when I when I went first went to Mexico City too, I thought it'd be very like tropical too, but it's actually a lot more temperate uh, there, which I was surprised about too. But I mean, it's just such a great city. There's so much culture and so much good food and tacos al pastor. And you know, you get that too. I think when you watch this film too, you get all kind of the sights and sounds, and you can almost taste the food in the the film too, which is great. Yeah, there's, there, mm-hmm. there's so many moments, and like you could maybe speak to this, but like I was, I wanted to read a lot of comments from people who who grew up in Mexico. Cause I mean, this movie is so autobiographical and so true to its place. Mm. But like, there's so many moments, like when they, they, they open the door, there's a guy with like a whistle, like a, almost like a slide whistle blowing. And I think he's like delivering yeah. stuff and there's like a marching yeah. band. I was reading comments of people. I was reading a comment from one, from one gentleman who said like, my mom, I'm literally the same age as, as the baby. If I had been born, like my mom was Cleo, she was a nanny. And this was just like the, the, the Mexico that I remember growing up in and like even to this day when you go you still see like people going to the street people offering stuff bartering and, and it, it was cool to see that like it gave it gave the city and itself the urban city such character and and again it kind of plays into that camera lingering a lot of interesting moments that aren't really fixated on the main characters of that that kind of adds a little bit of world building that even then also kind of relates to sort of the themes that the movie's trying to get at with sort of this di- this family dynamic and, and class mm-hmm. and cultural aspect of play what did you think about that oh, yeah. yeah yeah sorry what, what did you think about that yeah this is like with the uh, street vendors and everything too because i mean it you know being in canada now it's very different than you know in the streets of, of mexico city so how, what did you think of that yeah that's that's amazing because for example uh, in the movie like like john said you can see like all of these um sounds right and mexico city it's amazing but it has a lot of sounds it's like a very noisy city so i think you can see some kind of it um in the movie which is um amazing it it gives uh, the touch of uh of mexican city and uh, of alfonso Cuarón growing up as a chilango right that we call the people that lives in the in the capital yeah and i I remember I love like going to her house too in Mexico City and you know they, they have this guy coming door to door and giving apples and they're, they're really good apples and then you have like another guy kind of coming in changing the eco water and it's so cool because like this dynamic you don't really have this as much in in Canada but it's so cool to experience this you know yeah in some cases it, it feels a lot more remote and it's getting even more and more remote you know or Canada mm-hmm. and yes it's just getting dominated by gig workers dropping off stuff and yes. you don't even have to talk to them and, Amazon you know, this stores Amazon that. <laughs> stores are in, in, automating all of their stuff you're losing sort of that human element it's like you're you mm-hmm. live this very isolated and automatized experience in your apartment or home where you don't even have to like interact with anyone stuff is is given and and provided to you so the driving plot of this of course is you know we see this family we see all the dynamics Cleo is 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 developing this emotional labor and working but she also has a friend Adela that she she lives with and and their relationship is so funny like they're like getting addressed but like turn off lights like again it's like they have to live almost like in the shadows they can't like be um, a, a burdensome, even when they're not even on shift and not working. But, uh, you know, Adela, she has a friend, Ramon, that she's dating. She introduces Cleo to Ramon and his friend, F- Fairman. And I, it's funny because you initially watched this movie and I was like, oh, this Fairman guy, he seems like he's going to be such a great guy. Like, he yeah. seems like good. And they, but the, you, what, you know, now that I'm thinking about watching it, I'm like, oh, it's kind of foreshadowed that he might not be such a great guy because they go to the movies. And there's so many like <laughs> moments of movies in this 
in this to go to this old classic cinema. And he's like, oh, do you want to like, do you really want to watch the movie? Do you want to hang out with me? And it's like, then it just transitions. Like they clearly just banged. And then he's gives us that uh, amazing naked man uh, sequence with like the bow staff where he's uh, a lot of, a lot of penis in this movie. I didn't expect to see that much penis, but uh, there's a lot of of gender performance too, isn't there? You know, with the swords too. I mean, it's very much uh, performing their masculinity to this masculine kind of violence and masculine kind of presentation to performance. It's interesting, and I'm jumping ahead a bit, but like it's very easy to write off. I think Furman as being like this really horrible antagonist mm. and like you know not a great guy. And it's certainly like I don't think he's like a good guy, but I do think in some instances like the movie is making some sort of parallel between him and, and Cleo, and that you know he's very much someone of his own class and time as she is. Like we, we, he, when when thinking back on his sort of that moment when he's in bed with her, he's telling her about about martial arts. Like we find out he's had a pretty rough life. Like mm. he's ta- he's talks about like very much being in, in like legal trouble and, and being in jail and like how he, he really claims that martial arts has really helped him to escape falling into these trappings. And then we see later, mm-hmm. of course, he's with this group of marauders. And we're going to talk about that event, but like ha- how that's sort of like a bonding experience for him in a way, much like in real life with gangs. And, and that's like a way for young men who are disillusioned and who don't have anything going on in society to kind of fit in and yeah. not be murdered or killed. And, you know, I, I did, I didn't see him as a hero or as a good character, certainly, but I did, in some instances sympathize with him because I feel like very much he he is still kind of a character who is who doesn't have the same status as his yeah. family that we we experience and you know what is his fate after this movie probably something closer to the story he was trying to the past he was trying to avoid uh, yeah. perhaps but what did course... you what did you think of uh, Furman Clow as a Mexican Oof, okay yeah about <laughs> him yeah <laughs> yeah I, I had like the like the same uh, like the same uh, feeling that he was going to be a good guy but at the end yeah he turns out to be like even he was like part of the resistance group of the of the government right so yeah he was just prepared to do that so yeah he didn't really care about Cleo or what was going on with her Mm. yeah and it's 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 so uh, the moment where you find out where Cleo of course the main drive of the plot is Cleo finds out that she slept with him and she's pregnant she's mm. the next day she's with her family and she's worried she mm. she breaks down to Sophia saying like you know I found out that I'm pregnant I haven't had, she hasn't had her period I believe we find out it's been almost three months uh so she's she's confident that she's pregnant she goes and gets tested gets brought to the hospital they confirm that she is pregnant and then you know Furman finds out they're at the movies and it's such a beautiful classic cinema like with the they're all done like very Roman style with the statues in the corner and the big curtain and it's so yeah yeah and there's so many moments of movies in this like certainly I think in that moment they're watching uh I'm trying to remember the name of the movie but uh it's uh La Grande Vadrie it's like a very famous French World War II comedy I think for its time it was like one of the highest grossing French movies. It's a movie that uh, Quaron saw himself, so he sort of really related to. He wanted to put that in the movie because that was a movie he grew up watching, and he grew up himself watching and loving movies. Uh, of course, that's the world he got involved in, and you know, made a career out of. And you know, she tells him about you know she's she's pregnant. He's like, oh, that's you know, it's great. Okay, and he's just like immediately like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. Oh, I'm you know, I'm not feeling <laughs> so hot. I'm gonna. Get... It's just so like it's so heartbreaking because like you know, at that moment, it's like oh yeah. no, like he's. But again, oh, the movie doesn't totally. Yeah jump ahead we get this long extended moment where she's watching the rest of the movie and the credits roll and it really adds to kind of the the feeling of abandonment and isolation and even though she goes in the street and there's noises everywhere and chatter and and everyone's together she never feels kind of more alone in that moment and it's yeah it's a pretty it's sad a, it's a juxtaposition quite- that works so well though isn't it you know 
yeah but it leads probably to my my favorite one of my favorite sequences possibly my favorite the whole movie which is where the you know the the mother of the family uh sophia she says okay like you know my husband's gone we find you know we're we're starting to find out that their marriage is very much uh, fracturing and falling apart she's like my husband is gone uh you're having this baby you're distraught let's take the family and go on a vacation they go visit i believe it's like family or friends um at this sort of like villa yeah at this sort of like villa that they're living in and and also cleo's mom is there so it's close to their i believe their their farmland where they grew up so they go there to visit and it's such a great that whole moment there is so there's so much stuff going on like i want to talk about first of all there's of course a recurring motif in this movie to animals specifically dogs but certainly animals where we see all sorts of creatures but dogs specifically dogs have an interesting relationship from what i understand to a lot of families um, in, in Latin Mexico and other parts of Latin America here, of course, in Canada, North America, we almost baby our dogs. Like they're just like children. And like, I have a little tiny white creature <laughs> sleeping on like a couch next to me. Like we pamper him. Uh, he couldn't survive on the street for like two seconds. He would, he, he was hit by a car when he was younger. He still wants to run out and chase cars, even though he was struck by a car. So he has no sense of survival very much. Um, but I was reading a lot of comments from people who grew up living in Mexico. And they said like, yeah, we, we have different relationships with our dogs. And people were saying like, it's not so much like they're, they're in some instances, dogs are kind of exist as sort of in a space between, you know, being like street stray animals, but being like a member of the family, a lot of people kind of see them. And we sort of see that with, uh, with, uh, with the dog and with their family too, where he's not, he's not a street dog, but you know, they, they play with him and he has a name, but at the same time, he's not really like totally like a member of the family. He's not sleeping like with them. He's, he's shitting everywhere and no one's really taking care of him. And uh, we see that so often where there's just animals everywhere. And it was so interesting going to that family because we see they have like stuffed hunted animals like everywhere. All we see is dead, dead and death, just dead animals, stuffed animals. We see that that room with all the wall of dog heads. And again, it's like they they clearly treat the dogs with with love and care, even though it's kind of darkly disturbing. But, you know, at the same time, kind of humorous because we see all mm-hmm. this wall of dog heads of various kinds, not just these sort of street dogs, but like you know, dogs like my little uh, Maltese Bichon hybrid, like little toy animals and stuff like that. And it's a lot of death. But at the same time, you see Cleo looking at them, and the dog comes over and licks her hand. And it's like, a, it's a reminder that, you know, these creatures, we love these dogs do have a short existence. But it's also, I think it relates a lot to Cleo and the nannies. It's like they, at the same time, they're valued and appreciated and loved, but there is sort of yeah. a time limit they, with them. And they touch our, they touch our lives in unforgettable ways, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it is sort of totally clinical, but it, it, you contrast that later when you see when she leaves the, the sort of family party to go visit her mother and drink, you know, she goes downstairs and there's, there's chickens and geese. We get a scene of ducks having sex. That was interesting. We got to watch that too. So we got dog shit in HD, 4K HD, and we got duck sex in 4K. Um, but it, it felt so much more alive, even though it was like in the lower classes, like they literally go down the stairs, like under like the building. And it's like, it was so cool to see all the animals and, and livelihood. It felt a lot interesting how the family even though they have status and they're big, but it felt a lot more colder at the same time, but I still really love seeing the family play around and dance. Uh, but Cleo of course feels it, it, it's shot from her perspective. So we see like the camera panning from her kind of crouched down beside the table and it, it added to sort of this little bit of isolation too, where she's still, you know, she's a member of the family, but she very much uh, isn't. And then of course they, they speak yeah. English. Some of the members of the family themselves like, hi there, Cleo, welcome. Or like, hello. It's like, Oh wow. Like they really, it really feels weird. Cause those moments also, uh, aren't subtitled as well either so you're like oh it's like it it adds to this feeling that they're you know not uh someone that we should sort of see as sort of the main sphere this movie Mm. but uh what did you guys think of that whole that whole sequence uh visiting that family and and seeing them and then of course the moment where cleo visits her own family yeah i think it's um it really reflects how it is in mexico because for example 
um, domestic workers usually that works in the in Mexico City where is where they can find a um, job. Uh, most of the domestic workers they are from um, other states. No, for example, yeah. uh, Oaxaca, Guerrero. Uh, so yeah, that's why they become part of the family, right? Um, so yeah, I think uh, that's very interesting to 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 appreciate in the movie that they are part of the family because of this, no? Because they left the, their families uh, searching for a better life or better uh, conditions. Mm -hmm. And it was cool because, you know, we see a later scene, uh, of course, they're, the family's out there, just got, they're shooting guns in the forest. Like they're just like having for fun. They're just firing off guns. It's a really extra foreshadowing for the events later in the movie too. Cause it's sort of, you, you know, the movie, there's not really a lot of action going on or certainly, certainly like violent drama, but we're getting the foreshadowing of the kind of the violence and guns. It feels mm -hmm. very, it's not a moment where you're supposed to feel like on the edge of your seat or scared, but it, it definitely added to the tension. And, and I was like, yeah. oh no, someone's you know, going to so, get you shot know, so, yeah, it's, or, it's that inevitable feeling that something ominous is going to happen. Isn't yeah. It? And I, I thought like certainly like one of the kids was getting get it or something. I was like, oh my God, this doesn't feel good. Of course, that's sort of like a red herring. But then of course, we if foreshadows later moment, we see Cleo, uh, she's watching Sophia on the on the balcony. She's sort of by herself. And one of the men of the party of the family comes up and, and is trying to seduce her. And she's like, you know, you like, leave me alone, push him away. He's like, well, your husband's gone. You know, he's not in the picture anymore. It's sort of letting you know, oh, something's going on behind the scenes. And, and he's really, he walks away, he's like, oh, you're not even hot anyway. It's like, what the fuck, man? You're such an <laughs> asshole. But uh, yeah, and in that moment, we see the fire starting. So there's this big forest fire happening and everyone runs out. It's such a great moment. Again, this movie is all, of course, all um, shot in black and white. So it's these very big, bright white flames and all contrasted by all the darkness around. It's so cool. And I, it's probably my favorite scene of the movie, but the scene, there's this guy at the party uh, he's a Norwegian. We find out he's a Norwegian guy. He's from Norway, and he's sort of uh, playing around. He's dressed, I think, as like Krampus, like the like Scandinavian, like Santa Claus. He's like yeah. going around scaring kids. He's just pissed drunk. He's just like throwing back drinks, and uh, you know it's a great moment because he walks up in the frame, and everyone's chaotic. All the men, all the the Brit, the families like playing around. We see the housekeepers all urgently, even though they're they're the ones finally having a time to kind of be on their own. They have to go into action right. Away and do work, and they're putting out this fire. They're putting their lives at risk, and the rest of the family seemingly is just. Some of them are helping, but a lot of them are just sort of playing around. And we we get that sense where you see the man, the Krampus guy, he takes off his head and he sings that uh, beautiful Norwegian. I believe it's sort of like a it's a hymn, sort of. The, yeah. the, I, I looked up the lyrics and, and the song itself. It's about sort of celebrating the land and. It's interesting because I think you can read it as him as like this sort of checked out character kind of representing the family, how they're, you know, they have a lot of money and status. They're sort of not really of the place they live in, but certainly they have sort of this own, they're not totally connected with what's going on. They're kind of isolated. But at the same time, I kind of felt like in a way he did also represent Cleo and her family because, he, you know, he's someone from a land that he doesn't belong in, but he's he's still showing this passion and love for his, his life. You know, you're kind of how to read this guy. He seems like a clown in the background, but there's, it's a great moment of character building where it's like, oh, he, we find out he's this, he comes from Northern Norway and he, we don't really know much about his own life of his own love of his land. And of course it, it's a great foreshadowing moment to later in the scene where we get that beautiful scene where they're walking through the, the pastoral lands and the little lizards running along and the kids are chasing it. And they're talking about this reminds us of the, of the land we grew up in. And it's such a, a beautiful contrast from the sounds and sights earlier where, you know, the earlier we have, you know, people in the background, street vendors, noise, cars, dogs. Now we're getting the sounds of, of uh, cicadas and insects and, and just the natural uh, landscape itself. So it, it's of course a, a really fun moment. And then of course, we're going to, 
this is going to lead us along head to later in the movie. We find out, of course, that Antonio, who's uh, hanging out in Quebec, or they even name drop Ottawa. I'm like, maybe he's <laughs> yeah. over in Gatineau or something. He's at like yeah, Portage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I wonder what he's doing. But uh, we find out he's having an affair. It's such a heartbreaking scene where she sort of, mm. we find out, like the kids find out, she, the, Clay is trying to keep the son away from the door. He's like eavesdropping in and she opens the door and, and she slaps her son. It's very dramatic, but she breaks down crying and she's like, it's going to be okay if we're all together and you know i want but when we get to kind of the end of the movie i want to talk a little bit about sophia but i found her character to be really um it was such an interesting character in that you sort of almost want to read her as sort of like a negative character i'm like oh is this going to be another like serena from Miami's tale taker but no she's actually she she has a lot of love in her heart and i think we really see the contrast between her and antonio someone who's this cold patriarchal figure could be less involved with his family we really see that she's something different and she has a lot of she has a lot of heart to her and there's a lot going on with her especially that moment when she she comes home from the party she when she's driving her husband's car she's just smashing it around doesn't give a fuck like she doesn't have the same love and appreciation for his car as he does for it um but she gets to the car and she's drunk and she tells cleo she's like you know men just because after Furman life she's like men just leave us women were left to be alone and she walks to the stairs it's a really sad dark sad moment but it does sort of highlight how the men in this movie are very much uh, outside of the driver who's such a great character most of the men in this are, are very much uninvolved with their families not really um involved in sort of caring for the people in their lives and they're it's it's sort of like they're in sort of this separate class but you know this leads us to the the, the events of the movie and i wasn't really familiar with the events of uh, i believe it's uh it's also referred to in english as like the corpus christi massacre or el halconazo i think i'm i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but it's sort of the student protest that, yes. <laughs> yeah it's sort of this like student it's a, based on a real events the student protests that happened um near colonia roma where this is where this takes place uh, where there's hundreds of students that gathered uh, to protest the government and i believe uh the government actually killed people there was like 128 people i think that were were killed but the movie depicts these events within where we see them going out to the hospital with her, the grandmother and the driver. And we see all the student protesters gathering, heading towards the downtown core of the city. And we find out, of course, we saw earlier with this fairman, he's training. He's like this, I don't know, this like soldier almost. We find out he's actually being trained by the government, but it's great foreshadowing there because I think one of the people had like a West Point sweater on or something. And you're like, you're kind of cluing in that like, oh, this is like probably like CIA, American foreign people trading, helping to train these people to fight back against, uh, you know, uprisers against the government. It's very interesting uh, how that it's touched on in the movie, but it's not really like a, a, a main focus. Yeah. Yeah. And and we get that, but we, of course that whole sequence of skipping, we get that great moment where Clay, where, you know, that professor, what was his name? Uh, professor Zorek. He's actually a real guy, I guess, real life too. He was a real sort of entertainer and comedian and magician. He's like, he's like, all right, we're going to do this pose, this sort of like nice stance pose and everyone's like what he's not doing gonna do crazy stuff but they start to do it and everyone's like losing their balance falling over and of course cleo is the only one who's able to hold that balance throughout this movie mm-hmm. she's bombarded with various forces both natural and otherwise uh earthquake later to be happened uh, rain hail a literal fire and then of course uh wind and balance and no matter what's thrown against her she's able to hold and stand against it but of course, that sequence, Fairman, she tries to confront Fairman, and Fairman's like, it's very scary. He's just like, oh, like trying to do his moves on her. He's like, if you come near me again, I'm going to, if I see you again, I'll kill you and the baby. And that, of course, foreshadows what's to come because in that moment, they're going to the hospital or so they're going to buy the crib. That's when all the hellblade breaks loose. We get that as Curtis, you mentioned earlier, the camera's panning outside the mattress store and we see all the shooting and gunfire going on. Um, and it makes you feel like you're there, but you're not totally there, much like in a real event of violence where people are in buildings where you're you're kind of disconnected. But then we see the soldier, the man runs upstairs to get away. 
and they come in with all the guns pointed. It's such a scary moment. And, and we see people getting shot and murdered. And and Fairman runs in with a gun. He's pointing at Cleo. I, I was so terrified at this moment because you're like, oh, my God, he's going to literally gonna do? kill yeah. her. You, you think he's going to shoot her and murder her. And, and in that moment, again, it's a moment where she's confronted with this is horribly evil and she's just she's just standing there she's not like crying whimpering she's not she's 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 standing strong and and fairman himself seems to be conflicted and intimidated but he mm. thankfully relents and, and runs yeah. away but it, what did you what, what did you think what did you think of that scene cloud because that was a very powerful scene i, I thought between uh, Furman and cleo yes it was very very scary but yeah it it, it was because of this tension that the was happening like in the country right like this political and social and social um yeah controversies and problems yeah so yeah but it's such a, a impressive moment right where you are like oh my god is he gonna do it or not but yeah at the end he didn't so yeah and it's it's so heartbreaking because of course the events of this you know cleo her water breaks at the same moment where the man dies mm. her water breaks so they're trying to get her to the hospital it's packed traffic everywhere she's with the grandmother and the driver of course and she's really struggling in the car they get to the hospital it's been it's been very long since labor started they get her she has to go to surgery and it's so heartbreaking because the grandmother's crying and sobbing they're asking her like do you know her name it's cleo gutierrez she knows her name like how old is she i don't know what's her middle name i don't even know who's her mother I, she doesn't know anything about her and again it shows you know she's part of the family but she's not no one actually really yeah, knows she's in that weird that liminal much. space you know yeah and it's so tragic and of course you know at late her, her she gives birth but her baby is born is born dead it's so it's so disturbing and dark because mm. you know they used real doctors and and, and and caregivers in the scene these were an actor so it feels so real and it's so heartbreaking because yes. like you see it happening from afar you see the lifeless baby's body they're trying to revive it it's it's it i've never obviously never given birth never been in a birthing room i'd imagine it's very much something close to that experience and it's mm. so disturbing and heartbreaking where they're like you know do you want to say like goodbye and hold your child and you know cleo's just destroyed and, and it's so heartbreaking but uh yeah i i thought that was just a really it was a really rough scene to watch but uh you know, she's gone through so much. We see so many events in this movie already where she's gone through and all the labor, you know, just taking care and, and you know, raising this baby and coming to term and to, to have it not born. It's mm. it's pretty tragic. But in, in, yeah. uh, in some ways, though, and, and we kind of get this later at the end of this movie, it is somewhat of a relief because, you know, she she this baby was being born with a father who didn't want anything to do with them, yeah. abandoned them. She didn't want the baby. She's, you know, she was really struggling on her own, worried about what's going to happen to her. Yeah. If she has this child, is she going to be able to work? And it she is important to make sad yeah. moments. Yeah. So, but it is sort of a reprieve and, you know, we get back, Cleo is, you know, very much distraught. She's quiet, even more so than she normally is. She's normally pretty quiet, but she's very quiet. And uh, yet things are, are, are kind of falling apart for the family. The husband is coming home to, to take his stuff. And uh, the family goes on a, a sort of a last trip that where she's going to tell the kids that, you know, the father's leaving and, you know, they go, they go to the beach, uh, they end up going out for ice cream and, and she, and she tells, she gives the news to the family. And it's so, it's so sad because like the family, they're crying and especially poor, uh, you know, Paco, who's just sobbing and crying. And it was so, and, and Pepe, it was so sad to see the reactions. Mm. And we get that, get that really dark scene where they're, they're all sitting together eating ice cream. It's like, all right, kids, let's have some ice cream. And I was reading stories of people who had, I, I was fortunate to not come from a, a family of divorce. My parents are together, but I've, I've had stories of, 
of friends and family that I was reading comments of people who've gone through moments like that when they were younger and said like that's how my mom and dad told me that we they, they invited mm. us to ice cream and then broke the news pretty yeah. sad but also kind of funny and they're yeah. all eating ice cream and like sobbing yes. again Cleo's not part of that moment she's sitting standing aside again part of this family but not and then later to that scene where they're at the beach and it's so, and, and I haven't watched it yet, but there's a good documentary on Netflix, I think called like road to Roma, where they talk about sort of the mm. production of how they shot this movie. And uh, that's the, what did you guys think of the scene in, in the, in the ocean where the kids are, are washing away and it looks like they're going to drown like the way that shot and how it follows mm. her walking out to sea. And she tells them she's not, she doesn't know how to swim. And the actress herself actually said, because the movie was shot in order from beginning to end. So they filmed all the early scenes first. She, she was thankful for that because she actually doesn't know how to swim either. So actually the actress herself had to walk out into the water, not knowing how to swim. It adds to the, the drama certainly. And it was a, a pretty intense moment. Yeah. What did you think of it, Chloe? Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, and what you said, John, that um, Jalitza, that is the main character, right? Cleo, she wasn't um, an actress, right? She mm-hmm. didn't have any, any instruction in, 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 in acting. So it's like super impressive how he, how he shares this. Uh, and I think she's not even a mom. So yeah, it's impressive how he was able, she was able to, to share these emotions with the, with the audience. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so, it's so, it, it's so relentless. Like, you know, seeing the ocean waves coming in and, you know, we're not, we're not in Lake Ontario folks. This is like, <laughs> you're out in the ocean, you're getting the full force of the ocean water and it. It's so, it can be so, it's so intense and, and and relentless and we see and it's really scary because you don't know if the kids are going to be alive like she's walking out and you see from afar the children coming to swim in and she grabs them uh, we're going to talk about the themes after but like there to me there is this very strong theme probably perhaps maybe the strongest theme in the movie or one of them anyway which is the importance of unity of family and, and sticking mm-hmm. together and as soon as the dad's out of the picture this horrible man you know the family we see the family coming together that car that doesn't fit in the parking lot anymore like much of the dad himself who didn't fit in the family it's now replaced with the small little sporty car that fits in like a glove yeah. and in that moment cleo we see her literally gathering and she's like a little point a waypoint out in like the wilderness she's gathering the family together like she's grabbing the kid holding him in then we see the daughter coming and she grabs them drags him to shore and it's it's such an emotional moment where she's she's breaking down the kids are crying the mom and the rest of the family runs up and they say like you know cleo saved us and uh, she has that finally that moment, much like in so many other movies where like a character is trying to hold back their their real feelings. And she has that final moment where she cracks and says, like, I didn't, you know, I never wanted the baby to be born. Like, I didn't want this to happen. And she's sort of having that emotional catharsis. And the family shares, like, we love you, Cleo. Like, we love you. And it's it, it was just so sad um, watching this. And, it, you know, even though, you know, there's a lot of conversations around sort of the you know, class dynamics of the movie. There's a lot of people who said it criticism sort of of the movie saying like, you know, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, Cleo is still an employee and there's that she's ever going to be part, part of the family. But mm-hmm. I would actually disagree. I, I do think there's a transition here because we see, we seeing the family from another dynamic. They come back, all the, all the bookshelves are gone. And I was reading some really good comments. Someone said, you know what? It's like, he came back. It, it's like, he took, he took all the bones, but he didn't take the heart. He didn't take any of the organs. It's like, what is a bookshelf without books? It's just empty shelves. And it's so interesting that he comes back and takes all these empty, empty things and, and useless things that leaves all the really important stuff. And in a way it's like he abandoned, he, he took his whole status and his wealth away, but he left the most important thing, which was his family and his kids. And 
the people that loved him and cared for him. And, you know, we see that's left over. It's a bit fractured, but they're, they're ready to come together and the family's healing and, and they're getting along better. And, and even though, you know, Cleo, Cleo's not going to be ever going to become like a true integrated, you know, member of this family. And she's from a different class, uh, but in a way there has been a change on perspective, you know, the mother's working and she's jovial about it. And, and her relationship with Cleo seems much more stronger than we see earlier in the movie like and the characters respect her and they and they do love her and even though you know she lost a child and it's sad she she still has a family in a way it's it's a little bit different and i think it's poignant that the movie ends with her you know going up the staircase and, and ascending we get we get almost no scenes in the movie of of her going upstairs it's oftentimes her descending and and going away into dark spaces in this moment she's she's ascended and it, it's sort of like everything is going to be okay you know she's gone through all this trauma um literal through through men in her life through you know social political violence and effects from the natural world of almost drowning and and fire no matter what's been thrown her way she's been able to stand tall and proud through it and the family has been able to stay united and it's it's a very hopeful ending like i i read it and we it ends beautifully with the plane going overhead uh to me i don't know what you guys thought about kind of the airplanes there's so many moments of like airplanes yeah there's always airplanes and, and you know yes. mexico city i believe there's like a lots of there's like an airport major airport there so you, it's often you see a lot of airplanes yeah. coming and going but uh, what, what do you what do you think <laughs> of that theme of uh, of uh, airplanes cloud how did you react to it seeing all the airplanes and everything yeah, it's it's funny because Mexico City has the airport inside the city, like the airport mm. is part of the city. So yeah, it's super common to see these airplanes passing by. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it was, uh, it, to me, it was kind of like, you know, it, it kind of reflected the family itself. It's like they're this sort of family unit within this larger city and stuff going on. And it's sort of like this movie's like, there's a larger world out there, you know, we see scenes of characters watching American media and movies and we see the planes going in, we see like this military academy, like there's so much events happening in history and, and life going on amongst this, in, this, this specific family and these cast of characters. But it's sort of like, you know, it reminds, it reminds us there's like a bigger world out there. And this is just like a small little snip, snippet of the city. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the movie in a nutshell. I mean, there's so much stuff going on. Like there's, there's just mm. so many little great character moments um, and and specifically a lot of unique shots. Uh, to me, this movie really reflects, I think, a lot of the themes in in uh, Quaron's other movies, specifically sort of the pursuit of life, you know, amidst mm. unrelenting terror and unrelenting forces. You go back to see something like, you know, Gravity is a movie where a character is put in this really horrible situation, yeah. you know, her ship is destroyed and she's struggling amidst yeah. all uh, perseverance against all odds to to make it and in the movie and that movie it ends very much like a metaphor metaphorical birth where her she lands she's submerged in the water and kind of emerges from this womb i was so i was so happy she made it out at the end too because i was like oh god i can't I can't watch this. She's <laughs> yeah, she died there. Again. I like flipped my table. Oh no! And, and, and that movie, I remember that was a very big. That I, I watched that in three D, and that's like one of the best three D shot movies ever. Like it really added additional immersion in that movie, and and in a movie that really resonated with me, Children of Men, where you know that movie is very much about you know this unrelenting, you know these characters trying to protect this woman who's pregnant and against all odds of you know all the governmental forces trying to assault them and, and you know dangerous marauders and people out in the world and. And this character ultimately giving his own life for something like a greater purpose, like a greater sense of hope uh, amidst a world that's, you know, consumed in darkness. And this movie was very much, I think, in that same realm of a character, you know, existing in her own space and trying to survive and, and putting up amidst all these forces and still coming coming through it stronger and, and wiser and better, um, even though by all accounts, like anyone else would have been taken out by it or would have been. I think uh, you know, Klaus, 
Clow has to get going, but thanks for joining us, Clow, and uh, hopefully you can join us again sometime soon, and we'll be in touch. <laughs> oh, thank you for inviting me. I really so enjoy this. Great to have you here. Great to have some Mexican in Mexican insights too. <laughs> yeah, we would love to. Yeah. I don't know how much Mexican famous Mexican cinema. We'd love to get into some more worldly cinema. So we'd love to have you back for various discussions to get so kind of your own insights and perspective too. Oh, perfect. Thank you. I, I'd love to. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> yeah, take care. See take you. Care, Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, yeah, thank you, Clau, for, for joining us. That was It was great to have her for the time she did, and it was great to have her on and, and kind of get her comments, you know, because she, as you said, she grew up in Mexico, and to kind of have that familiar aspect because this movie is so much a love letter. Um, I do want to talk before we, I mean, we're going to wrap it up and talk about what we watched. We didn't watch that much, so it'll be probably yeah. quick, but this, there's just so much stuff going on. I mean, the animals in this movie, again, mm. all the scenes of the lower classes, they're lower classes. They have less money and power, but they they have each other. They're more united. They have all these animals living around them. And in some aspects, the, the, in the rich, in the, in the upper classes, they don't have that at all. The families are fractured. They, they're not loving. The animals are dead. They're stuffed. They're, 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 they're there sterile, It's almost sterile kind of, you know, it's a sterile kind of. Yeah, life. yeah. 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 And, and it's just, it's interesting. I read a great quote from, uh, from, Alejandro, from Alejandro Inaritu, who, um, you know, is a friend and contemporary of, yes. of, uh, of uh, Quaron. He's done, you know, great movies himself. He did The Revenant recently in. I think Bird, Birdman, other great, you know, uh, movies yeah. uh, from his home country. And he talked about sort of the, the emotional dynamic of this movie. He described it as sort of, it moves from a drop to a stream, to a river, to an ocean. It's sort of like a very slow build. And, you know, for most of this movie, especially the first like 20 minutes, it's like, I don't really know where this is going to go. It's very mm -hmm. sort of naturalistic. And I really dug it. I'm like, it's just, it felt so immersive, but it is kind of a very slow burn where it's like, it feels like this burn blowing building building crescendo from the initial few months with the family and kind of the domestic livelihood to the, the going out on that vacation with the fire to the to the inevitable riots and violence and then kind of the cleansing the water as being this cleansing force uh, you know and both you know water is representative in birth and death uh, certainly with birth like with her water breaking when the man dies there's a lot mm -hmm. of connection between so much symbolism in it. Yeah. of this and it affects everyone like it's sort of like how how this it, it, it transcends class and, and, and you know, privilege. It, it, it affects everyone around them uh, from the lower classes, from the various ind indigenous individuals to the, to the, uh, you know, the mestizos and the upper classes and people of, of different cultures. So, I mean, there's just so much going on and uh, I really dug this movie. Maybe we should get into, um, if we don't have much more to say about sort of the themes of this movie, let's get into sort of our thoughts and ratings. I want to know yeah. you know, our, our co-host Quinn, um, wasn't of course able to join us, but he did want to give a note and rating. So um, he wrote his own comment. I'll read it out here. He said, uh, a camera pan driven film that I loved. I think Roma is extremely underrated. And I believe it was the first Netflix movie that made me really respect the idea of an Oscar cleanup picture that could be distributed by the same lot that brought us the Richie Rich TV show. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, or like Love Island or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> first yes. of all, I love... I love Cleo. Her character and soul are beautiful, and I couldn't get enough of watching her with that cinematography. Score was mm. good. Uh, I was one of the few that really didn't get find this film to be boring. My two favorite scenes are the movie theater scene, and I don't think I've cried that hard at a scene other than the baby birth scene in years. Roma is great, and I can't wait to watch it again. He gave it a five out of five. Very mm. strong praise. Uh, what What were your thoughts, uh, Curtis, about this movie? What did What did you think overall? Yeah, so I was a bit I was a bit rougher with the film. I I did find <laughs> it. Uh, I mean, I I. I connected on a personal level too, just from my experiences in Mexico to visiting my friend there. 
uh, and obviously a lot of the sites too I connected with too. I did find, I love the cinematography. Uh, cinematography really stood out, even the camera angles and everything too, and rich with symbolism, as we said too. I did find the pacing quite slow. Um, so I gave it 3.5 out of 5 too. I, I wanted to like it more too. I just found it went on for too long. And I I, I think, you know, it would have been nice to have more uh, more going on in terms of plot, I guess, but I, maybe that's not the point. I did, uh, I liked how uh, he celebrated the, uh, the, uh, the, the domestic workers too. I mean, there's a sense of uh, privilege, like he had a very privileged upbringing, which is great. But I, I, I you mean, you feel that kind of class divide sometimes when you watch it too. And it would have been nice, I think, more, to have more of an interrogation of that kind of class division too. But just just my just my thoughts. <laughs> no, that's fair. And certainly I want to touch on that because I think, I, you know, there's been a lot of some, some critical uh, um, sort of pushback on this film. I think when this came out, it was like almost unrelenting praise and love. And much like all movies, when that initial kind of post-release hype wears off, you get the reassessments, the rewatches, and there is a lot of people that did they do acknowledge that. You know, um, you know, uh, Quaron, you know, he's filming this. It's it's a tribute to his own nanny. He was someone who came from sort of this upper class family, but he did, you know, he related to a lot of his own kind of struggle and sort of the family dynamic and. and the kind of the struggling within Mexico and the cultural moment of that time um, in the movie. But a lot of commenters noted that, you know, because the way it's shot, the way it's framed is we, we're not really fully immersed with Cleo. We see a, a lot of it through very static panning shots. Uh, you know, we're not going in for these kind of close-ups on the family. We don't no, very few like scenes where you actually see someone's full face in the frame. It's a lot of, mm. you know, very, very like, you know, eight or 10 foot out shots and, and it feels a little bit alienating. And, and for some people, they found that as you kind of noted to be a little bit, you know, didn't explore really enough about kind of her own emotional state um i, I connected with it a little bit better i i gave this a 4.5 out of 5 um you know for me i kind of find a, a five i kind of find a four and a half out of five kind of the way i personally rate stuff i kind of find them to be a little bit uh you know um almost uh similar i i think a lot of it comes yeah. down to kind of my There's own a lot of overlap personal. too i think <laughs> yeah like i i could i could watch this again and give it a five out of five versus a four and a half i, I kind of see that as more of like an emotional gut gut feeling um i did love this movie um uh, I, to some extent, I did kind of agree that I think um, I, an issue that I've kind of grown with with Quaron, a lot of these visual directors, I feel like sometimes he puts a little bit too much style over substance. Mm. And certainly like uh, there's a lot of reactions to movies by other visual directors, certainly like a, yeah. a movie re I recently watched, of course, Blowout by De Palma. That's like yeah. a crazy movie with tons of camera effects. Yeah. And it gets a little bit disorienting well, and, it, and it can alienate some people where they feel like it's not really and kind of getting a discussion of Carpenter. A lot mm -hmm. of, you know, he's a great visual director too. A lot of the criticisms of him are, you know, he does these great shots and, and great moments and set design, mm -hmm. but his characters feel like, yeah, know, like anti-human, like they're not humanistic. They're, yeah. they're rude, you know, and, and some people that lack of humanity. Um, I don't find that as much in this movie, but mm -hmm. certainly I think it made it a little bit colder. I was rewatching my favorite Nicholas Winding Ruffin film. I find this a Nicholas Winding Ruffin problem too, because like with, with Val Horizon, my favorite of his films, you, there's so much symbolism, but you don't really know what the symbolism all means. And the characters sometimes, I mean, they're interesting, but they almost feel like more like objects or kind of uh, symbols than kind of uh, human beings. So, I mean, that's a problem too, you know, with other directors, like you say. Yeah. And despite sort of the, the sort of criticism I had, I did think this was just a very, it was such a beautiful movie. So rich. I mean, there's just so much, stuff going on the, the scene where the woman is it, where after the chaos the riot scene they're escaping there's a woman crying and sobbing holding I, I believe to be like her boyfriend or husband and she's crying asking for help it, it's 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 like something out of art it's it's very much like a representative of like a michelangelo piece of like someone you know extended and, and bleeding and and, and it, there's just so many great moments especially the again my favorite scene which is the norwegian krampus dude who's drunk and he just starts singing <laughs> one of the few moments where the camera is is, is close up and 
capturing this full figure it's 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 meant to be important in that regard i think it's probably perhaps the most important scene i love in the that movie. that and, scene that scene too where the guys like does that weird like i don't know what you call it like where he's they have all the guys kind of exercising in the yard and then he does that move and you have the airplane coming beneath his kind yeah, of yeah right it cut it cuts yeah. right through uh, so yeah. it's such it's such good vision and like uh, some people had criticisms of uh, you know that the movie didn't go far enough in its class or uh, i didn't really think i didn't i didn't think it was being that disrespectful disrespectful i, I thought it was being pretty honest you know there's a different mm-hmm. cultural divide um in, in mexican upper middle class families there are a lot of nannies and these nannies are kind of like not totally they're not their employees they get paid very little but they are in their own this weird way part of the family and i think the movie was really true to that i thought cleo was given a lot of respect you mm-hmm. know she's someone that's quite shy not really expressive she's always working um yeah but it does, I do it think does feel like a love it does feel like a love note to, to those kind of domestic workers too yeah absolutely and the feelings of unity just really resonated with me. I think this is very much a movie about the family, about being together and about specifically about women holding families together yeah. and being and they, kind of and, the, and about, you know, it's without being together, I think things would really fall apart too. And just that sense of solidarity really helps everything. Yeah. And while it kind of ends on a note where it's like, you know, the, the mom is going back to worth, are, are they going to be able to continue afford living in that building? And you know, there's a little bit of, of, you know, questions lingering, like what's going to happen mm-hmm. with Cleo? Are they going to be able to afford her? What's going to happen? It, it, but it's like, you know what? Everything's going to be okay because at the end of the day, they're safe. They love each other. They have respect. They have each other. They, yeah. they're, they're together. And I, I think that that really, I, I'm really drawn to movies that emphasize that because I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a humanist at heart and I believe that we all, um, in it put in a situation would do the best to work together and uh yeah this movie it was really it was really an emotional experience watching this movie because it's just uh, it's it's capturing so many true human feelings so i i gave it a five and a half but i'll just say out loud mm-hmm. uh, you know, could easily be a five on rewatch uh Clow, she's not with us right now but of course she gave it a four out of five which gave us mm-hmm. an average score of 4.25 out of five which i think is pretty fair this is a very very excellent movie. I I avoid watching this for the longest time because I'm like, oh, the hype when this came out was <laughs> yeah, me, me too. And, and I, I tried like, watching it, and I fell asleep, and then I'm like, maybe I'll watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I was like a snob. I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna watch that movie. Everyone's watching it, and then it was really great to, like to kind Netflix, of do this. Yeah, yeah, it was so fun to do this sort of spinoff, uh, you know, from our usual series of episodes because we've been doing a lot of Carpenter, mm. we've been doing a lot of like scary movies, a lot of you know dudes rock movies. So it was kind of cool to take a t- twist and and watch something a little bit different, you know, stylistically, um, subject matter wise, and something a little bit more current i think this is probably the newest movie we've watched and spotlighted yeah. on this episode at least for like kind of a full hour uh, period so yeah that was roma an excellent movie by an excellent director with a great cast and i we're good i i, I love Quran. I'm, I'm hoping uh you know once we do our carpenter watch series we're gonna have an endless stream of we have like a list of like 60 directors where we could easily deep dive and you know Quran's someone who deserves that too because all of his movies um, are really rich with visuals and, and you know he's someone who really integrates sort of his his own themes and kind of keeps that going throughout a lot of his movies very similar themes so um, it was a really fun experience wa- uh, watching this movie and a really special one too uh, so le- oh and also my I, I just to, just to, as a coded to that the movie in the credits beautiful credit scene where we kind of get the stillness of the city oh yeah it ends with the with the the t.s Eliot wasteland the shanti 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 which is a sanskrit uh phrase sort of referring to finding like kind of a sense of inner peace and i think it's it's a really great way of kind of ending that movie and i i you know after that i saw that moment i'm like that's that's the that's the wasteland line and you know <laughs> you can kind of see a lot of the visual sort of metaphors and motifs in the wasteland too because the, the last stances of the wasteland a lot of it are based on kind of water is cleansing it's a it's a poem about the kind of life and death and sort of coming to an end and finding peace and i think that was a really kind of 
cool moment to add ties there. it binds yeah. everything together there's a theme of unity again to binding yeah, everything and, together and those lines shanti shant that's that's also uttered by michael kane in uh in, in children of men too so it was kind of a cool how that he's kept up that same uh that same callback to T.S. Eliot and, and some mm. of his other movies, the sort of like inner piece. Uh, anyways, that, that was that was Roma, a really rich movie, something really worth rewatching. And I think we all agree that's a movie everyone should check out on Netflix if you can. Uh, so what did we watch this week? We didn't watch much. I, I've been pretty busy and I think you have too, Curtis. So mm-hmm. why don't you go first? You just watched uh, one thing this week. So tell us a little bit about what you watched. Yeah, so I just watched the one movie. It's another Netflix, uh, or sorry, Shudder uh, exclusive film. I've been watching a lot of the Shudder horrors lately. Um, so it's called Martyr's Lane, just came out. Um, it was okay. I give it uh, probably three, uh, actually not very good, <laughs> 2.5 out of 5. But there there were things I liked about it too. It's about this little girl and uh, she, she starts to have these encounters with this imaginary friend from before. And obviously there's like an allegory for a grief narrative too. So the family's kind of going through this grief. She has this kind of bullying older sister to... And these weird things start happening too. And uh, yeah, it's all about kind of dealing with grief too, but it's a, it's an English film. I, I don't know. It, a lot of problems with these shutter exclusive films, I think too, are kind of the same, you know, they, they sound great on paper, but then when you watch them, you know, it's kind of the, it's that kind of Netflix gloss or the shutter gloss, I guess, you know, you know, yeah, I find it. Yeah. I find it's a mix of like the kind of the, the shutter gloss and sort of the, uh, the, the, the digital sheen and frankly like i do love horror i'm a horror guy but mm-hmm. i would be remiss to say there's a lot of horror movies that are a little bit schlocky yeah, that skip. i'm not really into and i feel like a lot of these sort of exclusives tend to be yeah. a little bit more schlocky than i would yes. like in kind of a way that doesn't feel like like I, I watched this is a totally different movie but i watched one i can't i can't remember the name of the movie but it's one with like a babysitter where it's like a they're this rich family, but you know, there's always comments like this movie is like a really good feminist take to, and I'm like, I thought the movie wasn't very feminist. It's like watching this young teenage girl half naked. And, uh, it's like visually wise, it didn't really capture the the themes that a lot of the the, mm. the dudes that rewatch these movies think it's going for. I don't know. That's just my uh, critique. I find a lot of these movies are a bit too schlocky than they than they yeah, should be. But so. uh, and you hope for d- better, but. Yeah, but I do, I do appreciate it. Like I do like Shudder and I, I do like that they they put out mm. kind of original horror. I mean, certainly horror. Yeah, I mean, it's, listen- it's, it's fun for a Friday or Saturday night, you know, just you have a few drinks and that's what I was doing. And it was, I was entertained, you know, it wasn't great, yeah. but I was entertained. And certainly horror is like one of the, last pillars that's sort of keeping the film industry alive certainly for the mm. independent cinema. It's, like, it's much it's like always supply and demand for horror, yeah, because people yeah, always much- like to be scared. Yeah, much like in literature and books, it's it's ro- Harlequin romances and young adult novels that keeps like the industry going. Really, uh, it keeps the whole book uh, business going. Much like the same way right now in films, mm. you know, we have our big budget franchises which keep our well, AMC's and Cineplexes going. But well, you, look, a- you look at the the big releases, and it's always like horror, 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 and then like superhero films. And, yeah, <laughs> and it's like you know, but the, you know, for all the good horror movies like Midsummer or something too, you get like forty shitty horror movies. So sometimes yeah. you have to kind of wade through the crap, you know, or just avoid them all together <laughs> yeah sometimes it's a little bit tough yeah so it's cool that we talk about a shutter because i watched two this week one of them was on shutter i actually started watching this one oh months ago and uh, i had watched it after i filmed a that's, that's the fulci one i think yeah uh, well, I had watched it um, after filming a domestic pints only podcast. So I had a few beers ordered takeout. I was laying on my couch and I just fell asleep. So I watched like the first 15 minutes and then woke up and the movie was already done. I was like, oh, oh. crap. So <laughs> I was able to go back and rewatch it this week. This was uh, The City of the Dead, uh, which came out in 1960, directed by, uh, it's not Fulci, it's uh, John Llewellyn Moxie. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he's a, 
he's done some other interesting like 70s he did some tv stuff did some other 70s horror he did like the night stalker uh but this was actually his first movie um black and white film um starring of course a very very cast but christopher lee's in it he plays like this um university professor um the stories about it in the first half beginning of this movie is this woman elizabeth selwyn she's burned at the stake it takes it's in 1692 um but before she's burned she's with this group of satanists they like make a pact with the devil and she's she's murdered and killed uh years later this young woman is at a university where christopher lee's a professor she's studying this town whitewood and sort of elizabeth sell me in this this witchcraft uh, history and he's like oh why don't you go to the town and visit and uh, i don't want to spoil too much but it's interesting watching this because um narratively the way it's done it's very much almost like psycho like you have this sort of half first half of the movie where you're following this character and you think like this is what the movie is going to be and then it kind of cuts and transitions to the second half where it's like a wholly new character. I don't want to spoil too much. That probably it, it spoils a little bit about what happens, but I thought that was kind of cool. This came out a few years before Psycho. So I'm wondering if like Hitchcock saw this movie and drew some inspiration mm. there, but the movie, I didn't really think it was that good. It was kind of short. <laughs> um, it's a pretty, like it, it's a, it's a pretty standard, like kind of Gothic uh, vampire movie. It wasn't very, um, the acting wasn't the best, but I did think um, some of the visual aesthetics specifically near the end where we get some really great, you know, the black and white, uh, when it's filmed in black and white, sometimes you get some really great stark shots, like with a lot of, you know, the burning crosses. And it was really with some of the visual uh, stuff that was done in this movie. And, and some of the sound too was really well done. We didn't talk about sound for um, for Roma. Roma had some excellent sound and I'm, I, I really liked it in this movie, but it wasn't the best. I would give it like a, like a three out of five. Some people might give it a little bit higher, but I, I thought it was okay, but it was a, it was a decent watch. And it wasn't uh, too, too long. Um, also watched uh, <laughs> I watched the the horror comedy Vamps uh, directed by the great <laughs> directed by the great Amy Hecker, Hecker, Heckerling. I know she did Fast Times, Rich on Hyde, Clueless. She you know she was kind of like a leading uh, woman director through like the the late seventies and eighties for a lot of these like teen comedies. You know her career recent years uh, she hasn't been doing as much movies, but this is one of the last ones she did came out in twenty twelve. Uh, it's got a fun cast. It's got it's, it's basically this, it's almost like the story is if, if I could describe it in a nutshell, it's like a sex in the city mixed with uh, what we do in the shadows. It's these two mm-hmm. young women, uh, Goody played by Alicia Silverstone, you know, who's a, you know, who's also in Clueless and nice to see uh, her again. St- yeah. <laughs> Stacy played by uh, Kristen Ritter, who, you know, she was Jane in Breaking Bad. She was in uh, Jessica, she was Jessica Jones. She's been a lot of stuff. And these two friends, they live in New York city, like by night, you know, by day they're sleeping in their coffins by night, they're out and they're partying, going to clubs and, you know, hooking up with dudes. And it's fun. The movie is kind of, it's, it's very much like, it's sort of like a, a, a little parody of like kind of like romantic, like movies and like women, you know, the stereotypical chick flicks, like uh, Goody is this woman who's, you know, she's, she's friends with Stacy, but she feels a bit of a disconnect because Stacy was turned as a vampire in the eighties. So, or I think, yeah, it was like the early nineties, eighties. So she's like an eighties kid. Um, and she thinks that she's the same age as Goody, but Goody's actually from the 1880s. So she's a much older vampire. Uh, she didn't tell her, but they both uh, were turned by this vampire, Ciceros, who's played by Sigourney Weaver in this super campy, <laughs> insane role. Um, the movie is kind of fun. Like it's, it's very, if you've, if you've ever watched like Santa Clarita Diet, which is sort of like a black comedy kind of a parody, it, it's very much in that tone. It's sort of like skewering like the sex of the city, like kind of rom-com tropes with a lot of vampire stuff. And there is some kind of, kind of fun moments there. There's also a lot of moments. This movie, it feels very much like a, a movie that came out in like the 2000s where there's some really kind of weird uh, stuff that hasn't aged very well. Like there's a whole scene where one of the characters 
um, she opens the door at a Chinese restaurant. They're all dead. And it's like played off. It's like, oh, I just had Chinese. I'm like, I don't think you could do this in a movie. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a random moment where she like fat shames this character nowhere. She's like saved someone's life. And she's kind of like going around like you do this, you do that. And she turns around. There's this big guy. She's like, oh, yeah, you, uh, stick, stay on a diet. I'm like, you could never do that now in a movie. Which <laughs> yeah. just, like People would Twitter like, would just be like Black Lives Matter but, and everything, too. It's just that, but, that, not, uh, not happening. <laughs> yeah. So there were some awkward moments. And, and frankly, the ending of this movie is dreadful. Like, it, it, my, I guess this is a spoiler, but like there's a of the, the the driving plot of this movie is like um uh stacy meets this young man that she falls in love with uh, he's a, actually a van helsing so there's this whole family of like vampire hunters that live in new york city the van helsing so there's like family drama because she's dating this boy and her family is like he's a vampire and they're like this drama there it's played for laughs um, but then goody reconnects with this man that she dated in the 70s you know he was a young man he's now older she's young forever he's been taking care of his like uh is his wife who has cancer and she's like terminal cancer, but he kind of reconnects with her. He, he initially thinks it's her. She's like, no, no, I'm, I'm her daughter and sort of forms a relationship with him. But the, that's so, it's such a weird, the way the movie handles this so totally, totally bankrupt. Like, I guess I'll just spoil, but like the ending resolution of his, his arc with her is like, she uh, gets her vampire friend to like turn her his wife to like save her life. And she gets resurrected. She opens the door. She's just, like, buxom like hot woman <laughs> earlier in the movie she's like i, I was laughing because like earlier in the movie she's like she looks very g- gaunt like she's like dying like she has terminal cancer and like the whole time he's like hanging out with her and going on a bench she's like wife's at home in the hospital like dying but then it's okay because he saved her and also by the way she's hot and then like he closed the door <laughs> and they bang that's the end of that kick resolution so the tone of this movie was kind of a mess it was it wasn't very good but there were some funny moments in, in the in some of the ways it's done it was very campy it reminded me a lot of like if you did like santa clarita diet it was kind of in that mold but otherwise not really much of a watch it was a uh, kind of a mess so that's like a two out of five for me that movie made like a one and a half honestly but uh mm-hmm. yeah that was it i didn't really get a chance to watch that much else uh did started getting to hammond's tale we just started season three so probably have more to talk about next time and uh hopefully gonna check out some more uh movies um yeah, me too. <laughs> anything anything you want to plug curtis uh before we wrap up i think this was a short one today we got to just yeah quickly, uh, short and stuff <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Not too much from my end. Uh, back, back, uh, back row review. Uh, probably coming out with a new one too. I, I'd like to write a review on uh, Batman. Uh, uh, I've been watching a lot of the Batman animated films, the uh, Batman Gotham by uh, Gaslight, uh, too. So I really like that film too. And it's, it's kind of uh, uh, Batman meets uh, Jack the Ripper kind of thing. So it's set in kind of this, oh, cool, quite you know, pseudo Victorian London. Really cool. Um, so yeah, I'll be writing a review for that soon. What about you? Uh, for me, uh, I, I might actually finish writing. Uh, I've been longstanding writing my favorite movies of 2020. I, I never get around to finishing the list. I, I got back into writing it like a week and a half ago and just didn't get a chance to publish it yet. So I might publish that today. So look on Johnny my Substack. <laughs> yeah, johnnycakes.substack.com. It might be posted there. Otherwise, of course, Domestic Pints only my podcast. Uh, we've got episodes coming out. It's fun because I'm actually in a couple of weeks going to Alberta to visit my uh, co-host friends. So we're going to record a bunch of live stuff and maybe record like five or six episodes with the content together so we'll probably get that out soon so stay tuned for that i think uh, um, quinn quinn is quinn has his usual kind of seat struck uh, reviews too and i think he's going to come out with the Halloween. he'll probably tell us more next when he's back on but i think he's gonna he wants to come out with a halloween uh, themed kind of uh, series of reviews too so that'll be cool for october yeah, that's cool. And I think, you know, October's coming up today. It's September 12th. So by the time this comes out, it'll be like probably next week or a little bit after. Uh, we're going to probably be getting into, you know, we're going to be continuing our usual reviews. We have uh, Curtis, we're going to be talking about Into the Wild at some point, your favorite movie. We've got our Carpenter series that we're going to get back into. Um, we, I think Kurt Quinn's uh, 
wedding is in a couple of weeks. So we might be mm-hmm. doing some more of these type of guest episodes. So if you're listening, you like our podcast, if there's a movie you'd be really interested in talking about with us. Uh, we might do like another little bonus spinoff like we did today and, and talk about something wildly different. And uh, we'd like to have more people on and get their uh, perspectives of movie. I have a few friends that are interested, so maybe we'll try to get something going. Uh, otherwise, uh, we'll also be coming up with our Halloween topics. I think we talked about maybe doing kind of like our canon series, but for horror, like we could mm-hmm. all each pick like a, a horror movie we're really into and, and we could maybe discuss that. So that might be something to to mm-hmm. bring up. Uh, otherwise, yeah, that's it for this week. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Remember, if you listen on Apple, uh, give us five stars, rate and review us. That's pretty <laughs> important. Apparently that helps the algorithm or something. Uh, it might make it so that more people will see us. Uh, people who aren't in our kind of little bubble, uh, unrelated strangers and other folks who will stumble upon us when they want to you know, listen to some random people talk about their favorite movies. So stay tuned for that. Um, anything else to close that on, Curtis? I think that's everything for me. Cool, cool. All right. Thanks a bunch, everyone. We'll we'll chat with you all next week. See you next time. Shanti. 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 Shanti.